Welcome to Rhetorically Yours. I'm your host, Dr. Devin Ralston. It's been a while since I actually sat down to record. I have a bunch of clips and things that I recorded previously, and because of the COVID-19 stuff and taking my courses online and just everything else about life, uh, the podcast got pushed to the very back burner. And I also realized as I was doing some research about the Enlightenment that I didn't really feel super strongly about very much uh, that I wanted to say or share with you. So what I'm going to share instead is a sort of mini episode that is responses to listener questions from last time, as well as some new questions people have asked. So this is just me responding to listener questions. And I'm kind of convinced my mom is one of these listeners and has asked a question, sent in a question. But anyway, so this is just me answering questions and then I will be back hopefully more frequently, hopefully next week, with some information about John Locke, who is actually from the Enlightenment period and who I do have a lot to say about. But i um, mostly been thinking about him because I'm re-watching the television series Lost. And so I want to talk about Lost and rhetoric and philosophy and some cool things that I'm noticing within pop culture. I don't know. Everything else that I was recording just felt really stiff and wasn't what I wanted this podcast to be. I decided to scrap it, try to start over. So here's a mini episode of just answering questions that you guys have sent in, things that you wanted to know. And I will hope to record more next week about my rewatching of Lost for about the third or maybe fourth time and some things that I'm noticing and paying attention to as I've been teaching rhetorical theory this semester. And I don't know, I was just really thinking a lot about Locke's character in different ways than I did when I first watched the show. So I kind of want to talk about that in next week's episode. Stick in there with me, guys. Thanks so much for listening. Here are some of your questions. The first question comes from Alyssa, who asks, how did you find out about rhetoric as a field of study? And what made you decide that that's what you wanted to pursue? That's a good question because I did not know very much about rhetoric before I started to really teach it. And I don't think that I knew that there was a field of study before that, to be honest with you. It really started in my master's program as part of my master's program at the University of South Alabama in Mobile, Alabama. I first started as a writing center tutor and then in my second year in the master's program I began teaching and what I was teaching was introductory composition. Although at South Alabama you could take that class out of sequence so I was pretty young when I was teaching that course. I was 22 maybe. So some of my students were older than I was because they had been in college a while or they were coming back to school or some of them were the exact same age as I was and taking taking the course at the end of their degree program for whatever reason. I think people often put off writing classes because there's a lot of writing anxiety and fear of judgment. And honestly, I didn't love 
and wasn't very good at math and it was certainly one of the last classes that I took to finally finish my undergrad degree so I definitely understand that kind of anxiety my second year in the master's program is when I had the opportunity to begin to teach the composition courses and that is when I truly started to understand rhetoric as a discipline and as a kind of grouping of theories, uh, a way to look at the world, a way to look at language, a way to look at writing. I saw it as that system that I talked about last time that Aristotle set up. When I started teaching that class, that is the first time that I really recognized rhetoric as, as a system and not as people had thought before, kind of random techniques. So when I started to teach it, that helped me begin to understand and to see it. Although, as I mentioned early in the kind of preview to the podcast, I do feel that I've always in some ways worked in analysis, worked in analyzing the world, and that's a major component of rhetoric. So It felt like as soon as I discovered it as a system and really understood it as a field of study, it felt like home. It felt really comfortable to me. It felt like, oh, I get this now in a way that as much as I loved literature as an undergrad and as much as I enjoyed looking at literary time periods and trying to understand how this particular text came out of this cultural moment, I didn't I, I didn't take to literary theory in the same way that I took to rhetorical theory. It just I think that this is something that happens hopefully in a few weeks I'll be able to interview one of my friends for the podcast and I'll, I'm curious if the if something similar happened in, in their understanding because I do think once you find whatever it is, whether it's a field of study or something that you're really good at, a hobby that you love, it kind of unlocks something in you and you're like, oh yes, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. You know, th- these are the purposes. It, t- it took a while, I would say, for me to fully embrace the, f- the whole kind of thing. And every year that I'm teaching, no matter what class I'm teaching, I learn more and my interest in rhetoric deepens. Teaching a course that is for students around the sophomore level and above in rhetorical theory has enriched my understanding in really incredible ways and helped me to to sharpen my understanding. Teaching these classes, teaching rhetoric makes my just makes me happy. It just makes my heartful and it it really firmly cements that this is exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. The second listener question comes from Chris who asked if there is a part of rhetoric that doesn't get enough attention or alternatively what is my favorite rhetorical theory to teach. I'm going to answer the first question because the second question is going to be covered in a later episode when I talk about stasis theory, which is one of my absolute favorite theories to teach and to like to tell people about, to watch them apply to a lot of fun things in pop culture. So the question though from Chris of what doesn't get enough attention or love or what is kind of like one of my favorites is the proverb. And the proverb is also called 
an adage or a maxim and in general is a short statement of some kind of general truth. Usually they're condensing our common experiences into some kind of memorable form. I don't remember if I mentioned this in previous episodes, but my father growing up was a minister and so I think maybe my appreciation of the proverb comes from hearing him interpret and teach and right preach sermons uh, using different proverbs that come out of the Bible. And so you can tell by that that it's a really old tradition using proverbs. One obvious example that comes to mind really any of Polonius's speeches in Hamlet, most significantly, to thine own self be true. And today we might interpret this to mean that Polonius is encouraging his son to judge himself, that he's the only person who can really judge what they should have done. You also might interpret this as being honest in all the ways that you possibly can or to always do the right thing. But Polonius believes that a person can be harmless and good to others only when he is financially sound. Therefore, he has to be loyal to his own best interests first, then take care of others. So while the modern age has given this proverb an entirely different meaning, what's interesting about it rhetorically is also that it comes from Polonius because he's not the best character to give advice, particularly to his children. This is something that he's telling Laertes before he goes to Paris. And if you can imagine your own parents giving you advice, Laertes is well gifted in the eye roll, I am sure. Polonius is... He's a difficult character. He spies on his daughter. He sets her up for kind of being entrapped. He wants to control her and interferes with her romantic life. Some people suggest he contributes to her suicide. He dies while hiding behind a curtain trying to spy on Hamlet. This advice is really kind of empty and hypocritical. So it's incredibly interesting to me the life that this particular proverb has had out of the Elizabethan age. I've seen people have it tattooed on them and obviously it has taken on a different and new meaning or decontextualized meaning. And I guess I would say that this is why I believe that rhetoric is so important and the rhetorical concept of context that I've talked about before is so important. In analyzing Polonius's speech, or at least a portion of his speech, it's much longer, this advice he gives to Laertes. But in analyzing the things that he says in this proverb, I understand that this is actually probably not very good advice. Cognitive neuroscience has shown us that we are not very good judges of our own characters and desires. So in a sense, what Polonius is encouraging, in a way it offers us excuses to do what we want to do. And I don't think that that is necessarily what people think that this proverb means. And so in analyzing it, we can try to see 
in the context of Hamlet, what is happening. We can look at the language. We can look at potentially what Shakespeare's purposes are in having blowhard character of Polonius say these things to Laertes. And we can understand that in some ways Laertes may, in fact, ignore the advice of his father. And so Proverbs to me are really interesting because they do tell us something about a specific time and we also end up carrying them forward in these really interesting ways and sometimes that means that the context of the original intention of the proverb is gone as it becomes universal in some ways bound to happen that context will be lost if you have a proverb that you want to share with us or a question about a specific proverb tweet us at ret underscore yours on twitter you can also follow us on Twitter and find our website, www.rhetoricallyyours.com, where you can find episode show notes and information, as well as the mail to boxes, so you can mail in questions for us. I'm excited to see what you all are interested in in the next coming weeks as I do more consistent recording and hope that you continue listening. Tell a friend. Until next time. I'm Devin Ralston, and I'm rhetorically yours. Mm-hmm.